Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey, Iz. Hi. That was a really emphatic, hi, I'm Isabel. I feel like that means you're in a really good mood. Well, I just like heard myself say it last week and it just sounded (laughs) like I just wasn't Isabel, you know, like, I don't know. I just didn't say it with enough gumption. So I felt like I had to really overdo it this week. No, you did it. I loved every second of it. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So, So as you guys will know by now, we're releasing this episode early because there's unfortunately no Beverly Hills this week, but we figured no reason to wait until Friday since we have the ability to release it earlier. So that's the number one housekeeping item. And the second thing is that there was some glitch last week where for a lot of people, the Kardashian episode was playing for the Bravo one. It seems to have resolved itself for most people, but if you're still having the issue, we talked to our producer and the best thing you can do is either try on Spotify or clear the cache. That should fix it. So I'm really sorry that that happened, but it should be good by now. Yes. So this week, I mean, we just have Potomac in New York. There's not even really news to discuss. No, I mean, it's a light week. I feel like we really alternate between everything happens, nothing happens. Everything happens, nothing happens. So I'm just happy to be here. I'm thrilled to be here. And I will say, I loved every second of the Potomac episode. I mean, they really do not disappoint ever. You just can't really get a bad episode. Like, I don't think there's ever been a quote, bad episode of Potomac. I saw a tweet tonight from this user at Nouveau username, and it said, whoever you consider the most boring Potomac housewife would be a top tier one in any other franchise. They're that good. And that really hit for me. Yeah. I feel like we've said that before. Even the worst episode of Potomac would be an amazing episode for like this season, New York, or honestly, an amazing episode for any other franchise. So we just got to be grateful. When you're watching it, you just can't forget what we're getting. No, and we never do. That is one thing. We never do. (laughs) 
Okay, so let's start out. The first thing that we want to talk about is this whole continued plot line of Robin not waking up, Juan being really hard on her. And let me tell you something. It was hard to watch the scene of them at that coffee shop a few episodes ago. I would say it's debatably harder to watch it happening in real time when she's actually in bed because, again, not that his frustrations are invalid, but the way that he's going about it is making me so deeply uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable. And I don't know if it's because maybe she didn't have that much else going on and like they needed this plot point, but it just feels like just inherently like shaming. And I hope that as this storyline progresses, it becomes more about like why she feels like she's in this rut and I don't know, talking about the mental health aspect of it and sort of seeing it more from her perspective. Yeah. I mean, I think that the issue that I have with it, aside from the fact that there seems to be kind of a a lack of sensitivity to a potential mental health thing, more so than that is it comes across on a very superficial level to somebody looking at this without any sort of like deeper lens that he's basically saying that she's being a bad mom. And I just don't like that. I just do not like that that's a narrative that he is subconsciously or consciously creating. And like I said, you're allowed to have frustrations, but the way that it's being handled specifically on television, I just think could be better. And I'll be very interested to see what she thinks watching it back. Because sometimes when you're in the moment, it's become the norm you know, for him to communicate it in that way. And I wonder if looking back, she'll also recognize that he could have gone about it in a little bit more of a kinder way. Right. Like, does she feel different about it now that everyone else kind of gets to see it and also make comments about it? Right. Exactly. So Giselle and Ashley at lunch, you know, one thing I just wanted to start out by saying, I know it's not dramatic at all, but there's something about the way she is with Ashley being this pregnant where her maternal side really jumps out and she's just so connected emotionally to Ashley's needs. And it's a really beautiful side of Giselle. Yeah. And honestly, not even just when she's pregnant. I think Giselle just has a soft spot for Ashley. And I really like that because I don't think she's a soft spot for that many people. And even though she gives so much shit about Michael, I just think she likes Ashley and she can't be mean to her. No. And, you know, I personally, I feel like we all have watched enough Housewives to know when somebody's asking a question because they wanted to reflect negatively on the other person for the show. But when she's asking Ashley about any concerns she may have regarding Michael, I do honestly think that was a genuine question she was asking. Because think about it, we all have the same question as well. Totally. And I also think that's a really strong reflection on Ashley because I think if you had asked anyone else the question in that way, they would come off really defensive and maybe be so offended. But Giselle knows Ashley and she knows kind of how she reacts to things and takes things. And even the way that Ashley just processes things. I mean, we've praised her so many times for being so open and able to really calmly reflect on things that are going on in her own life. The ability for Giselle to ask that is overall just shows how kind of like self-aware Ashley is in that Giselle knew she wouldn't take offense to it. It wouldn't be like this huge fight and that she could ask it coming from a place of love and caring and not be afraid. Like what is Ashley going to say or do or think that I'm attacking her? Right. It's, it's kind of like the antithesis of the way that Teresa Judice would have handled that exact thing. And it, it's, yes, it is very evident of the way that Ashley handles it. Cause by the way, Ashley's the first one to say to the audience, you know what? I'm a little bit concerned. Yeah. She said it even before Giselle had brought it up. I mean, I know they filmed the confessionals like in a different order, but 
she had brought it to the viewer's attention and kind of put it on our radar long before they had this conversation in terms of episodes before Giselle asked her this. So it's like, oh yeah, we already have had this discussion with Ashley. That's how I felt. I felt the same way. And I think that on a lot of other franchises, that one moment of Giselle asking could have sparked itself into a whole other thing. But one, Ashley just lets it roll off and doesn't care and wants to talk about it. And second of all, there's too much other real shit going on in Potomac where they don't need fillers in that same way. Think about it. If Giselle had asked that to somebody else, even somebody in a different city, that could have been like an entire season of drama of how could you ask me that? Like after all I've been through, I don't even know that there's so many hypotheticals, but the way it just rolls off Ashley, not that like she should have to deal with that shit, but she just, honestly, if I had to sum up Ashley, it's that she just like handles things like a champ. I mean- I fucking love her as a housewife. I really think in so many ways she is a model housewife. She She's the most vulnerable yet easygoing, which is such a good combination. Right. And that's why I'm just going to use the comparison of Leah for a second. When Ashley gets upset about something, I find myself taking it a lot more seriously because that's not the norm for her. Whereas I find myself getting a little bit frustrated with Leah because everything is an issue, you know? Totally. And It's also weird because when I think about Ashley, I think she's like so self-aware, but also completely not self-aware at the same time. And she's so good at like giving advice to other people and looking at other situations. But then when it comes to her own, there's delusion. So it's so hard to really pinpoint her. But yeah, I just love her. And honestly, watching this conversation and the ease that it had just reminded me of like why I really enjoy watching her so much. Completely, completely. I know the scene with Wendy and Karen at Karen's house wasn't necessarily monumental, but it was an important one, especially if you have the context of last season. And I'm really glad that the editors kind of did that thing because, you know, on the reunion, Wendy's whole point, or at least her interpretation was that she felt Karen didn't take to her as easily because Wendy didn't come to her as wanting her advice and wanting her mentorship. And so Not to say that that point was proven to be correct. However, you did see how receptive Karen was to Wendy wanting that from her. And so the contrast was very stark, and I'm really glad that they gave us that flashback. Okay, I almost didn't even write this whole scene down until that whole part happened because of how much you and I spoke about that moment at the reunion of that light bulb going off of, oh, wait, Karen wants to feel like she is the group leader. She's the OG and you kind of have to, what's the saying, kiss the ring before you enter the group. The fact that Wendy didn't come in in that way and she didn't feel like, oh, I'm going to mentor you. I'm going to show you the right way to become a member of this group. It really threw her off. So then when this scene happened, I was like, holy shit, Wendy is giving Karen exactly what she wanted. And I think that obviously that made Karen warm up to Wendy more that now she can sort of quote mentor her and be, you know, this guidance in her business. It totally changed the relationship because if Wendy had come in like that last season, let's say, they would have been best friends from the very start. Right. And honestly, it's so great that she didn't because they kind of needed that to get over that initial hurdle. And it's so much more powerful now that it's happening, even, you know, amidst all of that. But I will say, I was not a fan of Wendy in this episode for the most part. I really didn't like the way she handled the Mia stuff. I know we'll get into that. I'm not buying this whole Zen Wen thing. However, I was glad to see that she wasn't too prideful to ask Karen for her advice because 
there are a lot of people, and I probably would have put Wendy in that category if I'm being honest, just I'm, I'm talking all over franchises, that would be too prideful, Luann's a perfect example, to come back and ask even after giving that whole thing at the reunion. And so it kind of made me believe her desire to start this business a little bit more because she was like, you know what? Fuck it. Let me give Karen what she wants because I genuinely do want her input and I can respect that. For Wendy, this is like the best kind of circumstance because now she has Karen's respect, even though it was a little bit roundabout way to get there because she had to hate her first. But she showed, you know, I'm going to do my own thing first. And now when I actually do need you, I will come to you. I'm not just doing it because it's part of the whole song and dance to become a housewife and to become part of this group. And you're right. It, in a way, it is more admirable than if she had said, fuck that, I'm not asking Karen, I'm, you know, I have too much pride to do that, to just say, no, I'm going to ask someone who really knows. Now, do I think Karen is like the businesswoman of all businesswomen? You know, LaDom is what it is, but it, it was just a nice conversation between friends. Completely. I, I really do. And it, listen, among the group, definitely I think that she's the most qualified there because not everybody's expertise lies in products. Like for example, Mia, from what we see, seems to be pretty successful, but her stuff is more, you know, franchises of businesses versus actual products. And Robin is doing great, but she's new at it. I mean, she's the first one to say she doesn't feel secure in that role yet. So yeah, it was giving Karen what she wanted. It also, I think was genuine and I just was into the whole thing. Same. Okay. Let me tell you something about Mia, okay? (laughs) Tell me. (laughs) I said it from the beginning. Who knows how much we like her in the sense of like, we're going to agree with her heart and soul. But I said it from the first episode. I really like her as a housewife. And this scene with her husband when she's talking about her upbringing really solidified it for me because, you know, in our first introduction to her, she's obviously being incredibly forthcoming with more superficial things. So she's talking about her plastic surgery. And, you know, I know the women give her shit for talking about her clit on the first time. I kind of thought it was awesome. Like I appreciated the openness. However, her ability or desire to be vulnerable wasn't just, you know, it transcended just physical elements because here she is talking about what seems to me one of the most traumatic elements of her entire life. And she's talking about it very openly. And so I am really a fan of hers. Same. And I also think that's why you can't judge a housewife just based on a first interaction because we only know what five or 10 minutes of what we're seeing. And I think that could have been her first time filming. She's really uncomfortable, not used to the camera. She's just meeting these women for the first time. But now to understand her in a bigger way, I mean, we also get more insight into like how she met her husband and her whole job. But this was like, honestly, one of the most vulnerable and open scenes I've seen in a very long time from Housewives that I feel like we've known for years and years. It reminds me a little bit of I think it was like season seven or eight of OC when we saw Tamara start to open up about her upbringing and her suicide attempt and her past like marriage and when she got pregnant. And it was like, holy shit, we've known Tamara for so long. And now we're finally getting to these like deep, deep, deep issues that made her who she is. And here we are with Mia in her fourth episode and we're getting this. It's, it's just like, it's almost unheard of. That's what I'm saying. You know, when she's talking about laying on the floor on Christmas Eve and crying because she so deeply hoped her mom would come and her mom didn't come, that is, you know, that's not just deep for housewives. That's deep for any human being to share that experience because, like I said, how painful it is. And so, 
I guess I sometimes feel like housewives at times can feel the need to overcompensate for their lack of depth by talking about these really extravagant elements. So she's talking about her plastic surgery and she's talking about the age difference with her husband and you know things like that. However, she backed it up with, I'm going to give you that. And I'm also going to give you some real shit that made me who I am. And I will always respect somebody who plays it like that. Well, that's a perfect balance. And a housewife with an interesting story is just a good housewife. Like she has so much to offer because she can talk about her past experiences. She also has this interesting marriage and life and she can talk about her kids and her business and her personality. Like she's getting there. Like I I was a doubter in the beginning, but this episode, like I loved watching her. Yeah. I also want to say that when she's talking to her husband about the love night at Karen's and they're kind of just reflecting on Wendy and Eddie, it it was it was really an interesting kind of dynamic to hear her discuss it a little bit more openly because that's kind of what I was saying last week about how listen in general I'm not a fan of those types of questions I don't like when you put people on the spot to talk about other people in the group however if you're doing it you may as well do it and the way that Wendy went about it to me didn't come across and this is my interpretation people can totally disagree to me it didn't come across as like I'm here to assert my healthy marriage. To me, it came across as I actually don't feel that secure about it. And so I'm going to make damn sure that he sticks to the script that I have laid out for us. And, you know, Mia makes a comment of like, it's normal to have attraction to other people. Just because you're married, you could be madly in love with your spouse and never have any intention on ever cheating on them. Your attraction to other people doesn't go away. Right. It was also just kind of interesting that they're, they were in the room when that happened we got to see it with like subtitles and they have microphones on and we have cameras on them. But the fact that Mia was able to kind of pick that up and was watching them while they were in the room playing the game and also felt the same way, I thought was just pretty telling. Yeah, no, it totally was. What do you think about her dynamic with her husband? Just from what we saw, I know it's so minimal. It's minimal. I mean, it seems great. I don't know. Now, Keep in mind, like I've said that before, and we've said that about some of the biggest douchebags who have ended up being, you know, terrible people. So don't hold me to that. But from the maybe 30 or 40 seconds I've seen so far, he seems he seems like a cool guy. And also you could tell by the reactions of the other husbands when they were at the party and stuff that they really took to him. So, you know, I trust Ray Huger. <laughs> I'm so into Ray these days. Like, I really am loving what's going on. <laughs> oh, my God. I never thought I'd hear you say you're into Ray Huger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, he's – talk about a delight to watch on TV. He is a star and he doesn't even know it. He's starting to know it. No, like, he's starting to know it, but he doesn't try is more what I mean. You know what it reminds me of? Who? What do you think? <laughs> I think you're, I don't know. I like immediately thought of like Tom Girardi BS before scandal. <laughs> no, no. It, re- it reminds me of when you and Julie always say that my dad's getting less and less camera shy. Oh my God. Your dad asked us to film now. Like he used to literally, if, he, if we held the phone up the wrong angle that it looked like we were maybe taking a video of him, he would literally dart out the door. But ne- then it started being, oh, you're filming? Oh, don't film me. But he would keep going. And now it's like, get your cameras out. I know. We really created a monster. Oh my God. We should set him and Ray Huger up. I think they can relate on their newfound stardom. I think so too. <laughs> 
So Mother's Day is coming up. And I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom because realistically, no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her. But I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. And it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen and every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, so before we talk about the Candace and Karen conversation, I want to just mention that I saw a bunch of tweets tonight that I really related to, and I think you will also because... We talked about this when we did our first, you know, Potomac episode from the premiere of this season, just about the Monique of it all and how I think we were all anticipating that her lack of presence would be felt more. And I'm really noticing that it is only when Candace brings it up in relation to Karen that I even think about it. And like that said with no shade, I just genuinely think they have moved this along so flawlessly. No. Yeah. That's, it's a good thing for sure. But it also makes me feel like that was a fucking different lifetime when this whole fight was going on. Like that feels like so long ago that when even when Candace and Karen are sitting down to have this conversation, I can't believe we're still on this and that it's even still in the same orbit. Not that not that Candace shouldn't feel that way anymore or that it's not a 100% necessary. But from my viewer perspective with zero like skin in the game, it it just is like, oh my God, this fight really changed everything. It really did. No, I mean, the way that we've moved on from it, all of us, them, and then as a result of them, us, it's it's wild and not what I anticipated. But, you know, in terms of this conversation, I will say I wasn't expecting Candace to be this willing to forgive, kind of. I mean, I know Karen did not give her what she was looking for and it ended up being pretty unproductive, but she went into it with more of an open heart than I kind of thought. Much more. She's holding on to way less resentment than I expected. I think because the last we saw of her was so fresh after the fight and it was at the reunion when everything was kind of still at 100%, it, the contrast to how she is now, we forget how much time has passed. Like, because even like I said, it feels like a different lifetime, but also the last time we saw them together was right after the fight had gone down and when they all were still really, really, really in the moment of what was going on. So to remember how much time and reflection has gone on, I guess it really showed when you saw Candace's entire demeanor. This conversation didn't go down exactly how I thought it would, but it was very pleasant. And I think it's a conversation that a lot of housewives could take note from. You don't either need to leave continuing as arch enemies or even making it worse or as best friends. There is a gray area in the middle. Yeah. And also there's room for people's, you know, perspectives to potentially change. Although in this situation, you know, it's been basically a year and 
Karen is still not coming around in the, in the way that Candace wants her to, but that's a decision that they're both going to have to just make, you know, is Candace going to be fine actually moving forward with a real sense of friendship, even if Karen never comes around, or maybe will Karen understand how important it is for her to outwardly come around? Who knows? Like we will see how that progresses, but yeah, it definitely, I don't, it just didn't go how I was expecting, honestly. No, but you have to give them both credit because Candace's whole tune changed as soon as Karen said, you know, I don't regret the way that I handled it and I wouldn't change the way that I sort of stayed neutral between you and Monique. That caught Candace really off guard. But how easy it would have been for Karen to just say, I regret it, even if she didn't mean it. Candace didn't really make it a huge deal. She just accepted how Karen was going about it and her perspective on the situation. And Karen was being really honest and and on both of their ends, I can really respect it. And I think that's why the conversation just stayed so sort of grounded and level-headed and they were able to get to a cordial place and really actually hear each other. Oh, I so feel the same way regarding you know Karen specifically about how it would have been so much easier for her to do that. And honestly, who knows what the reaction would have been if she did, but I can't help but wonder, does she still have an existing friendship with Monique where okay, it's one thing for the show, but she couldn't have said that anyway because of her actual friendship with Monique. That's another question. Well, that's what I was thinking too, because unless there's like a motive to make it seem like she still is a good friend to Monique, which would mean that her and Monique still have a friendship, why does she feel the need to double down on that? Like, I think if Karen and Monique had no friendship anymore and she was completely out of her life and because they're not working together, there's like nothing really to salvage, Karen would have said, you know, I regret the way I did it. It was how I felt at the time. And I had a friendship with Monique, but I now look back like she wouldn't have to completely take it back. I understand like she doesn't need to go so full force of like, I'm so sorry and regretful of what I did. But I feel like the way that she was sort of doubling down on, yeah, I, you know, I would have done the same thing again there's got to be still a friendship with her and Monique. And that is something I'm really curious about. And I feel it could come up at the reunion. Totally could come up at the reunion. Or was it a pride thing? I don't know. Like I said, we'll just have to wait to see how this unfolds. Just one final thing on this conversation though. It was a really great backdrop to have this conversation in Candace's new house because it was very representative of kind of the shift that you were just talking about earlier of how like not that she was a different person, but her entire demeanor and every every way she felt understandably so last season versus this season was so clear. And I just felt like it, it was, you know, indicative of kind of this new chapter that she's starting out on. Yeah. And also representing sort of letting Karen in and being open to her, I don't know, coming to her new space and saying, yeah, you can see my new house. I feel like that was important to Karen and showed her where Candace stood. I'm more into Candace this season than I was last season because I felt like last season she wasn't as comfortable in the spot that she was in. And I feel like, you know, this season, one, knowing that nobody can say to her, you know, your mom owns the house that you live in. Not there's anything wrong with that, but it was obviously a, a sore spot for her. Second of all, I think she feels more comfortable in her role as a stepmom. I just think that there are certain aspects of her life that she's more comfortable in. So she's not projecting that onto the other women in the same way. Yeah, I agree. Okay, this Pamper Ashley party, again, these women love a theme party. I mean, have we ever had this many theme parties crammed into like two or three episodes? It's it's crazy. 
I know. And I, I feel a little bit hypocritical because when we're talking about New York, we're giving them so much shit for how it has to be a theme and they can't just go to dinner as authentic friends. And then in Potomac, we love it, but it was different in the way that it's done. Yeah. Because in New York, they feel really sad, but in Potomac, they just, it's just different. I'm sorry. It just is. Okay. This Mia Wendy thing, I I can't get enough of it. And I feel bad saying this because I never want to watch somebody squirm on television. Like that's not an enjoyable feeling for me because I think I get a little bit of secondhand anxiousness from it. However, there was something that was a little bit, I don't know, validating or something about watching the way that Wendy was so clearly putting on this persona of the Zen when, however, not actually following through with it. And then for the other women to feel the same way that I felt about how the two were not adding up felt very validating. So validating. I can't tell if I'm so into watching them kind of go back and forth because I do think it is an interesting matchup given how little they know each other and also their personalities clashing. But also I'm like sick of it already. I can't decide. I don't think I'm sick of it yet because I... I, One thing about Wendy, even though I so disagree with the entire way she handled it, I thought the whole thing was bizarre. I feel like it was, I could go on and on. She's committing to the role. And how am I going to hate someone that's committing to the role? I guess because I just really like Wendy so much as a person. I don't like the side of her that this is kind of bringing out. If I were Mia, I would think I would have been so thrown off by this because it was just an interesting battle for Wendy to choose. It didn't actually directly impact her. And you know, we'll talk about this in a second with the Giselle stuff, but it was an interesting hill to almost die on. Right. Like she has no part of this. It's, you know, if me had some something really bad at the root to Wendy, I would get why she would continue to go on and on. I just think something about Mia really rubs Wendy the wrong way. And now the fight is no longer about what the original content is about. It's about what has gone down the couple of times that they've seen each other and the way that Wendy and Mia don't like interacting with each other. It's not even about the whole Giselle, Karen loyalty plot that happened at the nude interlude party anymore. No, I mean, that's what I was saying last week, though. There's, I think there's something about Mia that really hits a nerve with Wendy. And I think some of it can come from the fact that Mia, in the first five minutes of meeting her, is so outwardly comfortable talking about her plastic surgery. And she just seems to be a little bit more comfortable with certain aspects of herself, I feel. And to me, I mean, there was nothing more evident than when Wendy says, clearly you're unhappy at home. That's why you had to get your clit fixed. And it's like, that line doesn't hurt to the girl who opened with that. You know, like that insult is not going to land with her because she's the first one that's open enough to say that. I, I just, there's something to me that it's, it's more deeply rooted. And I don't think that Wendy would actually admit that, but I could be completely off. Fifty high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? 
Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. There was something about the way that she, honestly, talk about, you know, if we're comparing who was more Zen, it was definitely her. She was kind of, I think, in awe of the theatrics that Wendy was putting on, as was the rest of the group. And, you know, she just, I don't know, she was pretty unbothered, all things considered. Do you think there's any possibility that another, not the full reason, but another part of the reason that Mia bothers Wendy so much is a Karen element? I think... I don't know. It's it's so complicated because of Wendy and Karen's relationship. And also, like we said in the very beginning, I don't really think Karen and Mia are actually good friends. I think it's very much just a way to introduce her as a housewife because she was casted. But it, I just can't help but think that there has to be maybe a dash of a Karen involvement included in the reasons that Wendy doesn't like her. Well, because here comes Mia, you know, two episodes in and she already is under Karen's wing in a way that I guess in an, in a way of acceptance that Wendy never really received with Karen. So there could be an element of that there. Yeah. I just think a lot of it is the way that Mia presents herself and how in the last episode when Wendy said, you know, I had to get to a point where I wanted to do this for myself. And like I said, I am so happy for her that she felt empowered to do that. Like I, I wish that on every person, not just every woman, every person that wants to do something for themselves in that way, they should do it. But the fact that it took her you know, almost like she had to validate it for herself that she could do this. Whereas Mia seems to be having no problem doing this for years now. I think that there's something a little bit more psychologically layered there that we're not necessarily going to get. Yeah. So the other thing here, when Giselle kind of not intentionally defends Mia, it wasn't really a defense of Mia as much as it was a critique of Wendy, but she says, you know, you're not really letting her talk. And Wendy says in her confessional, my response to Mia is because I was defending Giselle. So I guess loyalty is a one-sided thing in the book of Giselle and Robin because they're not showing any loyalty to me. Which I don't know how you feel about this or you guys feel about this, but I understood where she's coming from. Like if I were her, I think I would be a little bit hurt of like, here, I'm dying on this hill for you. And here you're coming around telling me all the things I just did wrong. However, Giselle didn't ask her to do that. It wasn't like this thing that Giselle was so upset about. I I don't know. I I don't know if it was that fair. I got where she was coming from. I would have been frustrated too, but she wasn't selling me with that argument. Right. Like Giselle doesn't even care. So why do you care? Right. But that's what we said last week about Karen didn't care. So why do you care? Right. That's why the whole thing, it's not, it's not even an interesting fight anymore because nobody else cares. And now it's just Mia and Wendy fighting about things they've said to each other in the process of fighting about something that nobody cares about. Right. And that's why it further proves my theory in my mind. Again, you guys could totally disagree that this is not about Karen. It's not about Giselle. It's about Wendy's own deeply rooted issues with Mia that she's not going to say because she's not just going to come forth with them because I don't know if she's even confronted them. I think it's, I literally think so much of it is the stuff that we sometimes do with women when it comes to superficial elements and comfortability with admitting our vanity. I really think so much of it surrounds comfortability with one's vanity. Well, it was also very validating when Candace in her confessional says, I hate that Wendy feels like she has to pump her chest up in front of Mia. Girl, sit back. Your boobs are too new to be doing too much of this. And that's, exactly. that's your point, you know, and Candace even says to Wendy's face when they're in private, I don't want Mia to feel like she can push your buttons, but 
the thing that she said in her confessional that I just read is exactly your point. And that's what it feels like she's doing with no kind of forthright reason. Right. And take everything that we just discussed aside on top of that. Like we said last week, there is always that underlying element somewhere there about Mia is now the rookie. Wendy was the rookie last season. And so there's a little bit of that hazing that goes on and kind of wanting to assert one's dominance or one's comfortability within the group. I think that that's floating around somewhere. I'm not saying it's the most prominent one, but it's somewhere in the mix. Yeah. Can we talk about Escala for one second? Because I think what the fuck? Where? Why is she not a full-time housewife? I would love to. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics Mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. Tell me your thoughts. I mean, this girl comes in so hot and she just is funny, bubbly. She's not afraid to go there. I mean, we've met her five minutes ago and she's already saying to Karen, like, I heard that you have a drinking problem. She, she just fit right in. She was, I I just liked everything about her. And I just, I, to me, she seems like a perfect housewife. And I don't know if she's going to be a friend of for the rest of the season. I mean, they definitely were inserting her into the group in ways that made it feel like that. But this is a girl I would be thrilled to see next season. Yeah, I think so too. I (laughs) Kind of on a side note, I feel like something that we do with Bravo that we don't necessarily do when we're talking about like, quote, real celebrities is we're much more willing to like assert our admiration or like towards a new figure way more quickly. Like we don't don't need the ease in time. It's like, fuck it. If we'll be wrong next week, we'll be wrong next week for this one episode. We love her and she's the best thing since sliced bread. I guess this must be how people feel about sports where it's like one year there can be like the MVP player and they put them in their drafts. I don't know what, even if those are the right words to use, but, (laughs) but like, and then the next year they could be like, fuck, you know, fuck that person. Right. Like, isn't that how it feels? I guess like that's just, you know, like we're not afraid to be like, oh yeah, they suck this year. Or they're great this year. Or, you know, they're my favorite. Oh, never mind. We were wrong about them. There's just nothing I love more than when we're like mid a Bravo episode and all of a sudden we realize, wait, this is potentially analogous to some sort of a sports reference. Maybe let's just throw it in. <laughs> 
because the, like, it's the only way I can understand any of it. But you're right. I'm not afraid to say it. And we're, you know, we would never about quote real celebrities be like, oh my God, I'm obsessed. I like, I love them. We really have to warm up to them. We get to know them. We have to watch them on a million, you know, talk shows, appearances, follow them on Instagram, see how their music is, see how their show is, watch 5,000 episodes of something before we even say that we slightly like them or whatever buy tickets to a concert you know then here this girl literally a skull is on my screen for less than one minute and i'm like i fucking stand give her a full-time job give her tenure put her on watch happens live put her (laughs) on bravo chat room i love her right we are are literally mid writing a note to the nbc execs to be like we want her as a full-time housewife and the way that we flip-flop i guess you could call it is something that i'm not embarrassed of if anything i'm actually proud of so i I just want to acknowledge that. Right. Because I haven't even looked at her. Like I could look at her Twitter later and be like, oh, no, Ryan, I changed my mind. And that's it. I was going to say, I have not done one swipe of this woman's social media. And I would, <laughs> in what, Isabel, let me ask you, in what world would we talk about a quote celebrity like this without looking in depthly at their Instagram, Twitter? Never. No, never. Because everybody else is doing the same thing. People aren't like, people are like, listen, we have one season to get to know these people. How many episodes is that? We're not going to dilly dally here. Like, let us be wrong next week. That's fine. It's kind of an underlying thing within the Bravo slash reality television community. And I feel so goddamn safe. Yeah, and also because these people are putting themselves out there for us to judge them and decide what we like and don't like and if their personality fits the bill for being on the show. So I just feel less guilty, and they're also giving us so much more. But, yeah, wow, we really we really do jump the gun. <laughs> no, we do, and, and I'm proud of it. But anyway, back to back to what we were saying about with the Karen thing, drinking. You know, Karen did not react to this strongly at all. I'm telling you, it's because Ascala is so cool. And the flashback said, well, Ascala said there was a comment made that Karen drinks heavily. And then when you go to the flashback of them in the embellished office, it's Robin saying that Karen just tends to drink a lot, which I'd love nothing more than when they repeat something someone said and then flashback to what was actually said, because the nuances of words and tone of what was said can get so misconstrued and it's always a game of telephone that usually comes out sounding worse than it actually was. But you're right, Karen, like Karen had an Ashley reaction here because she could have flipped the fuck out and she was just like, I love these women. I will call them from my house party and talk to them for hours and I will be partying, okay? And Ashley in her confessional says, Karen does pick up the phone and call us, but it's always a party of one. No, that was honestly so clutch of Karen, how in the moment she just had the wherewithal to say, you know what, I'm not going to defend this heavily. I'm just going to add in the addition of a few other people and call it a house party. And you want to know something? I respect her for that. Same, because Karen is a master defender manipulator in that way of spinning a story and kind of just saying words to make it go away. And listen, she owned it in the best way she could and made it sound like, oh, nothing's wrong. You know, what are you silly girls talking about? But that Ashley confessional had me laughing. Me too. (laughs) Kind of the last thing to discuss here, which is, you know, not that big of a deal, but it's when Ashley brings up how Mia and her husband met and she gets a little bit more into the story about how, you know, yes, she was working as a bartender and then she became a stripper and that's how they got connected. And again, 
she's not lying. She's pretty much coming straight out. I know that the women are a little bit skeptical as to some of the details, but I think at that point, if there was a poll, she would have said there was a fucking poll. No? Yes. The one problem is if she had gotten their ages right, we wouldn't have trust issues with her. But because the very first time we met her and there was that whole debacle of how much older her husband is and how old she is, which by the way, the actual numbers really don't matter. Like nobody really cares or we don't at least if he's 100 years older or three years older. It's the fact that she was just caught in a lie within minutes of meeting them. It put everyone sort of on guard of, okay, like what can we really trust and what is she sort of trying to hide or why? I know. And I, and I hear that, I guess I just, and again, like this could be naive. I didn't view it as her being untruthful. I literally just viewed it as her being flustered in the moment and trying to come across a certain way. And like, she just fucked up the number. Like I know it was simple math, but I think sometimes, I don't know, the cameras are there. You're trying to make this big impression. I don't know. I'm willing to give her the benefit of the doubt at risk of sounding really stupid. I, I Okay. This is what I was trying to say. For me personally, it didn't impact my trust. However, I could understand if the rest of the group felt that way. Yeah. The rest of the group being me. <laughs> no, I meant that. And no. the women. And anyone listening. <laughs> yeah. Me and the women. That's it. But <laughs> you're right. And it's funny because she's on one hand is so open and is saying, here are the hundred surgeries I got. And even talking about my clit and I was a stripper and blah, 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 all these different things. But it's like, even though she's sharing things that seem really out there, I feel like there's still a little bit of a barrier of like the full truth and what she's telling us. And that's her right. Like she, you know, she's giving us so much already. However, it just is a little obvious sometimes of like when she's blurring the edges. Right. And for me, it's like, if you want to tell me about the intricacies of your childhood trauma, I'm not going to fault you on like a technical where maybe there was a little bit more going on than just dancing seductively in an evening gown. Like I'm, I'm fine with that. You're giving us enough. Like I heard about your vagina. I hear about the childhood trauma. Like I hear about the relationship between your current husband and your ex-husband. Okay, fine. So maybe you were in a little bit less than a ball gown. Like I'm not going to kill you for that one. Well, yeah. And that's because I would take her blurred stories over so many other people's, her blurred stories are way more interesting than most housewives were ever given. So it's like we were saying about Potomac versus other franchises. I'll take it no matter what it is, because it's still pretty much better than so many others. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And this is why people will ask us if Bravo is paying us to promote Potomac, which (laughs) they are not. We just really fucking love it. We just really fucking love it. Okay, let's go to New York. I'm sorry to kill the mood. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Let's do it. Apartments.com believes the dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. And listen, we all have our non-negotiables in terms of what we really want when looking for an apartment. I know for me, natural light has always been really important. I just know myself and I am a happier person when I have that natural light throughout the day. And I also told myself that in my next place, I will definitely have a washer and dryer because you just can't beat that convenience. And I know it can be hard to find, but when you find it, I think it is so worth it. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. 
And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit apartments.com, the place to find a place. Okay, I feel like there are kind of three main things about this episode of New York that are worth talking about, yes? Yeah. In terms of Ebony... (laughs) Did you notice how I was trying to go in and not start it by saying something about like how kind of painful this episode was? I'm really trying to carry this positive spirit. It's just so goddamn hard. Yeah, I'm honestly glad because I'm just I'm just exhausted, honestly. I like somebody tweeted like they should have just made this the finale of Real Housewives of New York last night. And I just I agree. I am exhausted. I think I may have said this last week, but I think it was Ryan Bailey when we were on his podcast and he was like, I am in it until the end. Like I will be there till the very last day. It doesn't matter. So I'm going to watch, but God, is it a little bit hard? It definitely is hard. And I try to separate myself if I wasn't like recapping it on a podcast, how would I feel? And I look at someone like my sister who very much like me is, you know, in it till the end has watched since the beginning. And she forgets that it's even on. It's like, oh, did we miss New York this week? Like that never, ever happened. But everyone is forgetting and slightly dreading it. No, it's definitely not just an us thing. And there is comfort in knowing that other people are on the same page. And we're just, we're just gonna, we're just gonna go through it together. Okay. We're gonna do our best. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So Ebony, you know, this whole DNA test that she's doing with this woman, Ashley, and trying to find out if they're actually sisters, this is some Mia shit in terms of not to the same level, but similarities, meaning vulnerability from a first season housewife. Yeah. And I also like that we're getting such different angles of her past because we see like a lot, we saw a lot of her career stuff in the beginning and now to see this, but also not just to hear about it, but to literally watch her FaceTime with Ashley and see them discuss this man, Kenneth, who she thinks is her father. Like that is, that is as vulnerable as it could get. I know. And we see later on, I mean, obviously we don't know what happens yet, but we, you know, we get to carry this out till the end. We see her find out the results. And I think in general, like she said, regardless of whether or not they're actually blood sisters, she definitely finds comfort in knowing there's somebody else that can understand her experience with this person. Yeah. Okay, Luann and this Christmas song situation. No, I can't with Luann and this Christmas song situation. The saddest part of all of it is that there's no Dorinda around because she is literally Mrs. Claus. Like, no joke, she is a pillar in the Christmas community. So the fact that she does not get to be here and be a part of this is just a goddamn shame. And I, I just, I can't with this song. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit sinful, the fact that Dorinda's not there. And second of all, I know that specifically you have definitely not been vibing with Luann that much this season. So this must've really just pushed you over the edge because I saw a tweet and it was like, who is the person that is asking for more music from her? Can you please show yourself? (laughs) It's just like a joke gone too far at this point, I think. I want to get into this Leah Luann thing as it applies to legalities because Listen, if you've been listening, you know I have not been a fan of Leah this season. I definitely don't think I've been shy in expressing just the way that I felt about her overall demeanor and performance this entire season. That being said, there's nothing wrong with wanting to understand where you stand and just to have your T's crossed and your I's dotted before you engage in something. And like, 
I know it may come across like she's being very annoying. Maybe her timing was a little bit poor, but I understand where she's coming from. You know, I, I think one of the issues in the way that she presented it was that she started it off by saying, listen, if we are unintentionally sampling music or if there's some sort of an issue where we're going to be sued, I don't want my name on the line. Very fair. And then it kind of evolved to, if you're eventually going to profit off of this after some proceeds go to the Fortune Society, I want to be included in that. So her tune kind of changed. Her messaging wasn't that consistent. But I can't blame someone for wanting to have their ducks in a row before they put their name on something. No, that's the thing. I don't blame her at all. And I feel like anyone in this situation, if you really know or have ever like been in this situation before would have the same concerns as her. It's 100% about her delivery because it was one thing when she asked Luann when they were touring the space for the birthday party, that was fine. Luann didn't really give her answers, but she didn't follow up. And at this point she's literally showing up to record and it's like, it's too late. It's almost like, you know, you're on the operating table already. What are they going to do now? So I just felt like if she was really that concerned, she wouldn't be basically standing behind the microphone asking these questions or she wouldn't have showed up or she would have followed up before that. I don't know. It just felt like I get why Luann was so like pissed off because she's there with people that she works with who she clearly really respects and probably felt a little bit embarrassed. Not that it wasn't Leah's right. It's just the way that the conversation went down. And I think the producer answered things really clearly, but Luann just was so defensive about it that it wasn't like a fluid conversation and they both just got so heated about it, which it didn't really need to be. Oh, it was not a productive conversation. And honestly, they both handled it wrong because Luann did come across as very defensive. And later on, I mean, I know you're talking about the scene with the producer, which didn't go great, but later on, even at the party when her and Leah are talking about it, she makes that comment about, you know, I guess the best way I can put it is, not being 100% certain that she's not going to profit off of this at all. And I can understand Leah's, you know, concern or hesitation. To me, it seems a little bit like being penny wise, pound foolish. But if that's how she operates, that's how she operates. Luann, I don't think, was operating with as much transparency as she thought she was. At the same time, I don't think she felt she needed to because nobody else has ever questioned it or would question it, you know? Yeah, she was caught off guard being questioned. Luann was definitely being shady. Like there's, you know, I don't know the logistics of putting out a song for charity and a Luann song, but there was definitely something that she wasn't just forthcoming about or maybe Luann doesn't know. Like it's very possible she just really doesn't know the logistics and once in a while she gets a paycheck from the streams of her song. I don't know how it works, but... I don't think Luann explored it to the degree that Leah would have wanted, even if she didn't know the answers. And I think that there's definitely like a missing puzzle piece here from Luann's knowledge or something that she does know and is not admitting. Yeah. I mean, exactly. Leah's not off for saying it. It's just that she lacks so much grace in the way that she communicates that it always sounds worse than it actually is. Because if she just came to her and said, you know, by the way, I was just wondering and, and just, I don't know. I mean, I guess you could make the argument that Luann wouldn't have responded kindly to anybody that did it, but I think it's specifically Leah. She just it doesn't really have that much, I don't know, grace in the way that she handles things. Well, also 
it would have gone over better if beforehand, before she even went to recording, she said, can we put our attorneys in touch? You know, I just don't feel comfortable recording until I get all of my questions answered. It felt calculated that she was only wanting to bring this up when they were together and filming. Because if it was actually concerned, which I I do think it is actually concerned, but if she wanted to be proactive about it, there were definitely ways in the interim periods that she could have done things. That's that's really it. Right. But then the flip side of that, because obviously that was my first thought as well, is like, listen, say what you want about these women. They are not naive to the art of television making. And I'm sure she recognizes how boring the season is. And so I think she kind of thought, I have something that may potentially be a concern. This could make for good television, could be a good storyline for an otherwise dry season. Let me wait to bring it. So I get where she's coming from, from like a producer mindset perspective, but it just didn't go over in the way that she wanted it to because the whole thing was just blown up to an unnecessary degree. Yeah. And also the possibility of catching Luann in something. Who doesn't love that storyline? Yeah. Yeah. And then at the actual birthday party, which I again, was well-intentioned. And again, I really truly believe this is a prime example of how deeply COVID impacted their filming because I, I get it's been a little bit of a discombobulated group. They do have friends. Like in a normal world, this party would have been filled to the brim. And the fact that they could only have a limited amount of people and it just felt like, I don't even know, like a high school mixer was very awkward. It's already sad because they have to keep the lights on at these parties, which I just take such umbrage with because that just kills the mood in general for filming purposes. But this, I mean, and I know it's COVID. I know it just, like we were saying, like, why, why could, Wendy's nude interlude had so much more fun and vibes, even though it was just the women fighting than this party did. Well, that's what we were saying last night. You know, Isabel was texting me, mid episode is like so angry. And she was saying, you know, why can't it be just an intimate dinner at a beautiful place, which I know we've had a lot of dinners. So I I don't know. It's just how many times can you watch, you know, Sonia, Ramona and Luann interact with these younger, hot guys. And I'm sorry. I, I, I'm trying to not be negative. It was just hard to watch. Yeah. And it's like nothing really happened. They were trying to maybe create something interesting. I mean, to me, the most interesting thing was when Ramona forgets that she's wearing a mic, even though she's been doing this since the beginning of time. And that guy, Will, is like hugging her goodbye. And she's like, do you know my address? I'll text it to you. Yeah. <laughs> I like, we see, we see Ramona in action, but that was like an action moment. Like, wow. Yeah. That was what the, what the kids say, caught in 4K. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Who taught you that? I don't know. (laughs) I think another thing that was happening for me with this episode was when they did the flashback to last year when Leah met Will and she made that comment to him. I forget exactly what it was, but you know, you're the kind of guy, oh, you're the kind of guy that is having sex with a woman and looking in the mirror the entire time. Remember that? Yeah. It just made me more mad because I hate when people make comments like that either way, whether it's a girl or a guy, whoever you're doing it to anyone. I just hate that. It it comes across to me as so obnoxious. Like you're meeting this guy and you're putting him on the spot, making digs about his potential sexual performance when you know nothing about him. Like, is that the way that you're going to assert your dominance? I just, I hate that. And so I think that also got me riled up just if you want to understand where I was coming from. Yeah. 
I did want to understand. And I also think that that, that is that interaction is a perfect summary of Leah as a person. Oh my God. The penis and vagina cakes. This is what it was. If that was just an, a normal addition to a party, we would think nothing of it. We would love it. But the fact that it feels like they know that they need it in order to create content, that's what makes it so sad. Yeah, like Wendy's boob and nipple cupcakes. I I don't know why I keep comparing it to Wendy's party. I think that was just the most like amazing party of all time. But given COVID especially, but just like the way that those women were just funny and chill about the cupcakes and stuff versus this just like trying to be such a spectacle. It just needs so much help. Yeah, and and it's going to get that help. It's going to get that help. But you promise. I, I promise. I promise on everything I have. Oh my God, please. <laughs> but anyway, the last thing to really talk about here is when Ebony announces that she's hosting this Black Shabbat next week. And you see that interaction with Ramona, which just continues to be super uncomfortable because it feels as though every week they kind of make progress and then they take five steps back. But neither of them were really going to go there. It, it kind of got glossed over. I think the more awkward part about this was when Ebony realized that Rashawn was there and had to kind of explain to her why she wasn't invited, which it's not like Rashawn was holding out for this invitation. And it's also not like Ebony has any requirement or obligation to invite her. But I don't care who you are on, if you're on a show or not, when somebody overhears you inviting other people to an event and then you have to explain to them why they're not invited, it is just simply awkward. It's so awkward. And Ebony left a comment that there was a reason that she wasn't invited and that we'll find out next week. But yeah, it was just so awkward. And at least Ebony is very comfortable being so like upfront with people that it wasn't like if it was anybody else, they would just be like stumbling and not really know how to address it. But she was just super straight up about it and they just aren't clicking. So it also was okay almost. It wasn't like they're best friends and now she's saying, oh, sorry, you're not invited. Yeah. I saw some feedback online of people thinking that it was fucked up, but I mean, however you feel is valid. I I didn't really, because it's not like there was any expectation from either side that they were friends. We'll see what happens next week. One last thing about that is that when you're talking about other people, I couldn't help because Ramona was right there. So I made the association in my mind. Imagine if that was Ramona in that situation with Rashawn isn't a good example because it needs to be somebody a little bit more similar to Ebony and Rashawn's relationship, like somebody Ramona had literally just met. She would have done that thing where she puts her hands on her hair and she closes her eyes and she would have just made up this whole convoluted thing and felt overwhelmed by even having to explain it. Whereas Ebony was like, I'm going to be very clear and explain to you exactly why you aren't invited. Hopefully this doesn't offend you, but also this is my prerogative. Oh yeah. It's like night and day. In terms of the Leah and Luann thing, it honestly ended on fine terms, Leah brought up the situation last year where everybody was on Luann about not paying Sonia, which was a very real thing. And again, I do think her concerns were valid, but I was proud of both of them for how they handled it at the end. Well, I'm glad they drew that connection because that was literally a season long or even more plot line about Sonia being in the cabaret show and everybody feeling like she was being taken advantage of. And it just like, it really was a whole thing, but it was a different situation. And also Sonia wasn't advocating for herself. So they felt the need to kind of step in and say, what the hell is going on here? But I'm, I'm just glad it ended up well. I want to make the one clarification, which is, I think it comes across as, you know, if you're somebody already may not be too fond on Leah, 
it, you very quickly can misinterpret what she's saying of like, I don't want the money to go to charity. I want to make it. That's not what she's saying. She's saying, if you're going to give a certain percentage to charity and you are then going to profit of it, then I want to know. I, I don't, I just think it's an important clarification to make because I don't think she wanted to take the money away herself, but she was saying, if Luann gets to a certain point where she then wants to profit, I want to be included in that. No, all of her questions were valid. Like you can be liable. A song lives on forever. So what if it, they put it in a commercial? I don't think they're putting it in a commercial. What if they want to put it in a commercial or a TV show? Or I don't know. There's a million different scenarios and I get where she was coming from. And I think the whole thing is it had a little bit of a sour taste because it is going to charity. And that's why Luann was so taken aback. Like, this is a good thing. You know, look at it as a donation. But Leah was savvy to know, like, there's more to this. It's not just you donate it and it goes away. Like, a song lives on forever, like I said. Right. And Luann was momentarily caught, I don't know if you want to say in a lie, but caught in that moment of potential untruthfulness. I think because it was charity, she thought nobody would ever question it. Right. Which listen, that's one of the biggest ways people scam people. Not saying she was doing that, but Leah has every right to, I guess I just have too many lawyers in my family to think that Leah was being out of line. She wasn't. No, I I know. Yeah. Okay. Anything else you'd like to mention? No, I think that's it. Okay. I think that's it too. We love you guys. We'll see you next week. Beverly Hills will be back next week, which I am so excited for. And I think that's it. We're just so unbelievably lucky we get to do this. And we got a lot of DMs this week just of people expressing their excitement. I don't know why particularly this week. And it just always makes our day. And we just thank you so much for listening.